that was said uh, by our leadership, our country's leadership, but that is something that I think filters down into the way that the masses think. And I just want to make sure we're all sort of on the same page, scripturally speaking. Last week, the President of the United States, President Biden, made a special trip to Israel, made a special trip right in the middle of all the conflict going on in order to show solidarity, in order to show support. And among the other things, many things that he said, I want you to listen to this. The President said, I come to Israel with a single message. You're not alone. And then later he said, as long as the United States stands, now listen to this, as long as the United States stands, and we will stand forever, we will not let you ever be alone. So among the things he said, highlighting in this, I want you to recognize and see, he said some good things, but he also said some bad things. He said some incorrect things. He said some unbiblical things in what was said. So let's start here. It is good, and this is going to be an unusual, this will be more of a, a Bible lesson rather than a traditional sermon, but, but stick with me. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to look at a lot of things here very soon. It's good to stand with Israel at this time. Let me make that clear. It is good to stand with Israel at this time. But not because of the reasons that you may be thinking and not because of the reasons that the president thinks and not because of the reasons that most religious leaders think. It's not good to stand with Israel because they're Israel per se. It's good to stand with Israel because their fellow humans made the image of God and they've been unfairly, brutally attacked. It's similar to this. Think about what happened to here in this country a few decades ago. I'm thinking about the, the rural South in the 1960s, specifically April of 1963 in Birmingham, Alabama, when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. made his way from Atlanta to Birmingham and was arrested, and then letters were written that they did not like this outsider coming into their place. You don't live here in Birmingham. What are you doing here? Remember then that very famous letter called The Letter from Birmingham Jail was written. And among the many powerful, amazing things that King said, one he said was, let me read it just so I don't say it incorrectly, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. He said, you want to know why I'm here? Because injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. I'm not an outsider. I'm standing up for what's good and what's right when it comes to these kinds of things. And you know what? Chalked through that letter were so many different, not just powerful philosophical ideas, but biblical ideas that connected to what the Lord's called us to do. And so when it comes to something like racism, when one group of people are burning people's houses down and treating someone like they're less than human because their skin is a different color, that's not okay and it has to stop. Good people have to rise up and say, that's got to stop. Well, similarly, when a group is going to try and murder and rape and kill people, because they're different, that's got to stop. The Bible says in Psalm 82, verse 4, Psalm 82, 4, rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Proverbs 24, verse 11, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. And in the New Testament, Luke chapter 10, Jesus says when he's telling the, what we know as the parable of the Good Samaritan, the summary statement, Luke 10, verses 36 and 37. He says, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? 
And the man, the teacher, the lawyer, the one who stood up to, to test Jesus, he had to admit this. The neighbor was the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, well, you go and you do likewise. You go about your life. You go about your day-to-day -day business being one who shows mercy to those who need it. It's a good thing to show solidarity and compassion to those who are being unfairly treated. It's a good thing to show compassion to those who are innocent and being challenged by those who harbor evil intent. But now, as for standing forever, here's one of the places where I think the president got it very, very wrong. The United States of America, as much as I love it and as thankful as I am to live here, the United States has no guarantee to last. We could easily be overthrown like Judah or Babylon or Rome or any other nation you might think of. In fact, we know, not hypothetical, not think, not maybe, we know that we won't last forever because we know that at the end of all things, remember this morning we talked about that day, that day is coming when all man-made governments, all nations, all things, all will be after judgment day either in heaven or hell. Nations will come and go, but the one institution that we know will last from today until Judgment Day is the church of Jesus Christ. It will not, it cannot be defeated. It will not, it cannot be overthrown. No other group, no other people, no other institution can say that. It's only the church of Jesus that can say that. Going back to Daniel chapter 2 at verse 44, the Bible says, In the days of those kings, making reference to the Roman Empire, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. That's speaking of the church. It'll never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break into pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. In Hebrews chapter 12, at verse 28, the Bible says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's not a man-made government. That's the church. And thus let, her, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a, a consuming fire. So here's something that we know. We know that we cannot stand up and make statements like, well, good old United States, we'll never be overthrown. We'll never, we'll never die. We'll always be here. I pray that that's the case. But we don't know if that's the case. We don't know that's the will of the Lord. What we know is that Jesus' church will stand until the day of judgment. We also know that um, Israel itself was not ever, then is not, now Israel was never guaranteed to be able to stay on their land forever. They never got an uncompromising, no matter what kind of promise from God. The promise of their land inheritance was conditional. Now listen, go with me back to Genesis 12. Now here's where we're going to really start going back and forth, reading a number of scriptural passages here. Go to Genesis 12 where we're going to start. Because what we're going to do is start with the land being promised. The land promised to Abraham and his descendants. But what you're going to see as we move forward is that this promise of a land inheritance was absolutely conditional, could be given, could be taken away. So here's the land promise. Genesis 12, starting at verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, from your kindred, go from your father's house, the land that I'll show you. And I'll make you a great nation. 
I'll bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing and I'll bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I'll curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed now right there is a passage that many modern day religious folk will point to and say look here's one of the reasons we've got to be good to Israel that's right right here right now we better make sure that Israel knows we're on their side because here's this promise the ones that God says I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you we better make sure we stand with Israel I don't know let's keep going verse 7 verse 7 he says the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring I'll give this land so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him go over to chapter 15 Genesis 15 this time verse 18 Genesis 15 18 on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying to your offspring I give this land listen from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. It's the land of, of the Canaanites. So there's the land promise. I will give you this land. It'll be for your people. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll have so many descendants. And it's through your family on this land in this area that the, the son, the savior of all the world will come and will bless the world and change everything. It's through you in this place. So that's where the land is promised. And that's where the beginning of the place of where sincere, good, loving, wonderful Christian folks say, we need to stand with Israel because of this. And maybe you've heard them say, this is yet to be fulfilled. This still has, I, I read a place just, just this week where someone wrote this, speaking about what's been going on in Israel, they wrote this, at no point in history has Israel controlled all of the land that God specified in those passages we just read. There remains, therefore, a final fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant that will see Israel occupying their God-given homeland to the fullest extent, meaning in the future. So in the context, this person was saying, we better stand with Israel right here, right now, because the land promise is going to be fulfilled eventually, and we want to make sure we're standing with them when it is. That isn't true. That isn't true. The promise has been fulfilled. The land has been given. Let's, let's read script. Don't take my opinion for it. Who cares what I think? Go to Joshua 21. Go to Joshua 21. Joshua 21, starting at verse 43. Joshua 21, 43. Let's see if this doesn't sound like the land specified in Genesis has been given here. Joshua 21, 43. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. Hmm, I don't think I need to read further. He gave them all he promised to give back in the day. It's given. And they took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them the rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them. For the Lord had given them all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass we keep going fast forward to first kings chapter 4 first kings 4 first kings 4 just look at verse 21 first kings 4 21 solomon ruled over all the kingdoms this is important to read in light of what we read back in genesis 15 where in genesis 15 it gave the the specifications for the border as it were well, 1 Kings 4.21 is going to mention that. 
Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and the border of Egypt. And they brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. It's fulfilled. They've been given. They settled in it. They're doing it just like God promised. Fast forward even to 2 Chronicles 9. Just in case Joshua and 1 Kings weren't enough to, to settle it in your mind, go to 2 Chronicles 9. 2 Chronicles 9, verse 26. 2 Chronicles 9, 26. He ruled over all the kingdoms, or all the kings, from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. The promise was made. The promise was fulfilled. There's not a time where we're waiting in the near or distant future where the Lord is going to say, okay, I know I made the promise and I just haven't kept it yet. I'm going to finally give Israel the land I promised to give them. He's done it. He made good on the promise that he gave. He put them there. He settled them there. They've, they've established over and ruled the very places he told them that they would. But now here's the, the tricky part, maybe. The promise was made. The promise was fulfilled. But that land could be taken away. And it was. Go back to Joshua 23. Joshua 23 this time. Joshua 23, let's start reading at 12. So Joshua 23, 12. If you turn back and cling to the remnant, remember this is spoken to people that have been given the promise. The land promise has been fulfilled for them. But God says, but if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you, if you make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish, listen to this, until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. Perish off the ground, kicked out, taken out, dispossessed of the land you once possessed. In 14, he says, and now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things the Lord your God promised concerning you. He's fulfilled all his promises. All have come to pass for you. Not one promise has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he's destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and you go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he's given you. He'll be kicked out of the land you've been brought into. Well, if we read in, and we won't read all these things, but turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Kings 24. I want you to see this being fulfilled. 2 Kings 24, starting at about verse 11. 2 Kings 24, 11, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to the city, comes in to Jerusalem while his servants are besieging it. They're tearing down walls, burning up all buildings. It says, even the king of Judah gave himself up to the king of Babylon. You keep going over 25, 1, in the ninth year of his reign, in the 10th month, on the 10th day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem, laid siege to it. They built siege works all around it. So the city, city was besieged until the 11th year. 
keep going down about verse 12, we see that the, uh, all that will soon be left in the land of Jerusalem is just the poorest. Just the poorest of the poor is all left behind. All the rest have either been killed or taken away. The land was taken away here. Now we know that in 70 years, they'll, they'll come back. It's fulfilled by the prophet Jeremiah, restored once again. But just like they were kicked out once, they can be kicked out again. They can be removed from the land again. And we know, as Jesus said, you read in Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2, Jesus said there's coming a time in the very near future where not one stone, speaking of the temple, the grand, glorious, amazing temple that sits on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, it's not there anymore, is it? You know what sits on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem now? The Golden Dome of Islam. One of the most holy places in all the uh, Islamic religions sits in the very spot that the temple of the Lord used to stand. Because Jesus said in Matthew 24, there's coming a time not one stone will be left upon one another because you're going to be wicked and you're going to be kicked out of here. And I'll use my right arm in the form of General Titus leading the armies of Rome and they'll come in and destroy everything. And they did. And so, what the New Testament tells us is that those things have been fulfilled. Those things with the days of, going back to the days of the tabernacle and the days of the temple there in the Jerusalem, the days of, of the promised land being the promised land, that's been fulfilled. There now no longer remains a time for people to flow back into literal Israel. There now no longer remains a promise for literal locations there in that beautiful, amazing land of Israel that's being massacred and destroyed, bombs blowing it up by the moment there. Part of my prayer is that not only people, mostly, yes, of course, that people will be saved and rescued, protected, but also some of these wonderful sights and things that they'll not be harmed as well. Because there's things that connect us to God's book and God's world there that are special and can't be seen or touched anywhere else. But here's what you need to know. Today's Israel is very, very, very different. Jesus would talk about, in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, about being born again. Remember the leader there, uh, Nicodemus, leader of the religious people, the leader of the Jews, comes to Jesus, and he says, we recognize you're incredible, you're special. No one can do the things that you're doing except God be with him. Remember what Jesus tells that man, this religious leader of the Jews? He doesn't say, stay here, remain faithful, all things will be restored to you here in this land. He tells him the exact same thing that every other person on this globe needs to hear. You must be born again. You must be born of water and the Spirit. If you're not born of water and the Spirit, you won't see, you won't be a part of the Lord's kingdom. This is the way that Jesus would say it to the, his audience in Matthew 21. Notice, turn with me your Bibles, Matthew 21. Matthew 21, beginning at verse 42, Matthew 21, 42, Jesus says, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Here's a conversation about the Messiah coming. Jesus being prophesied, finally showing up on the scene, the eternal word becoming and taking on flesh, teaching, preaching, doing miracles. And when the Jewish nation saw that, they rejected him. 
They said, you can't be the Messiah. Our Messiah is going to be one that, that leads us into mighty uh, military victories. It can't be you. Here's what he says. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Now, in part, that ought to be exciting for everyone who's not a literal descendant of Abraham, knowing that all that we have to do is know who Jesus is, know what Jesus expects, and submit our lives to Jesus and be born again. Anyone and everyone can do that. It's not about who your parents are. It's about who your heavenly father is and if you've obeyed Jesus the Christ or not. And so we all now are part of and able to be and invited to be a part of spiritual Israel. Romans chapter 2, beginning at verse 28. Romans 2, 28. Listen to this. For no one is a Jew who's merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Peter would write it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You, church, you of the dispersion, you who are out, there, you in Glasgow, Kentucky, you, church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Those are promises for the church. And so we, we, we close with the question we started with, should we be concerned about what's happening overseas? Yes, a million times yes. Your heart should break when you read about what's happening. Your prayer should with great energy pour forth, pleading with heaven to oversee and protect and stop the madness. You should care. And in fact, you should specifically pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Psalm 122, verse 6. But that means anytime, all the time, you and I should be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. But according to the New Testament, we should be praying for the peace in South America, in Australia, in Barron County, wherever, it might, wherever there's human beings, we ought to be praying for peace. This is what the New Testament says in 1 Timothy 2, beginning at verse 1. Read this with me. Let's close here. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. 1 Timothy 2, 1. First then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, for what purpose? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So that ought to be your prayer every single day, especially if I could say it this way and you understand what I mean, your prayers ought to be ratcheted up and intensified when you know of evil and wickedness and war going on in a place like in Jerusalem, in Israel, in Gaza. He says, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and those who are in high positions so that we can lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. He says, this is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior because here's what God wants. Because there's not coming a time, the scripture does not bear it out, there's not coming a time where the faithful, particularly the faithful of Israel will be put back in physical, geographic Israel again. 
feet planted in, in Jerusalem again. Scripture doesn't promise that. But here's what Scripture calls for right here. Here's what God wants. God, our Savior, desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. There's no other name, Acts 4.12, no other name than Jesus. No other person, place, blood, no, no other way to be saved. Jesus himself said, John 14, 6, I'm the way, truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You don't come to the Father via Jerusalem. You come to the Father via Jesus the Christ. And so that's the call for us. Should we care? You better believe we should care. But we also should care about what's happening in this town and across the street, down south, up north, out west. We should care. We should be praying that all live lives of peace and that all come to know the truth and that all bow the knee to Jesus the Christ because that's the only thing that will save. He's the only one who will save. And he's calling you even this night. If you need to repent of sins or be washed in his blood, this is the night. He calls while we stand and sing.